Hi everyone, welcome to Training with Casey, where we explore animal training and living our best lives with animals. I'm Joseph Laughlin, producer of this podcast, and now here's your host, Casey Covert. Let's get started. Thank you, Joseph. Hi, everybody. It's Casey, your host on Training with Casey. And today, let's talk about stress. Stress kills people and animals. Change is equal to stress, and stress is equal to disease. CDC posts on its website that 90% of disease is a result of stress. You might wonder why that is. So let me give you an analogy that helped me when I was studying this in school. Imagine that you and every living being has a budget for life. And what you have to buy out of that budget is keeping your body warm enough to function, breathing, getting food, digesting food, thinking, uh, running away from things, coping with things, fighting off diseases, dealing with allergies. So these are all things that you're going to spend your living budget on. What happens is sometimes one thing will take more of that budget than normal. It will take more than its share. So for example, let's say it's summertime and you've been sleeping outside and having a great time and um, you're you know, eating food that you forage and so forth. All of a sudden it turns cold. Now life is more difficult. You can't just sleep outside, it's too cold. You can't just forage for vegetables because they're just not there in the way they were in the summertime. So you have to spend more energy to go find food. You have to spend more energy to cook food. You have to find a way to conserve heat, get shelter, all that. So you're spending more dollars on those daily activities than you did before. So what happens? Well, either you need to find ways to adapt by, for example, um, you know, maybe you preserve food, or maybe you have, uh, maybe you rob somebody who got their food, their blankets, their place to sleep, whatever, but that could be stressful too, right? But anyway, um, if you have to just stay out in the cold, it's going to take more of your life budgeting dollars to deal with that cold. cold. So you're going to have less to spend on some of the other things that you also need to do, like your immune system and your immune response. And that can lead to you catching a virus or cold or another disease. It can lead to you having inflammation because you're trying to fight off diseases or you're dealing with allergies, which then in turn can predispose you to other diseases that your immune system is just not able to fight off. So when it all boils down, 
to the actual numbers. When uh, we want to avoid big changes in our lives and our animals' lives. Now, it doesn't mean we're not going to do anything that's a big change, but we're going to plan to mitigate it, to make it less dangerous, less challenging, less damaging. And if we do that in various ways, we can cope and we can also help our animals to cope. Now, when I say that stress is equal to disease and it's the cause of 90% of disease, uh, let me give you two figures that might really hit that home. After a major life change, like losing friends, losing friends, not just a mate dying, but losing friends or moving or a really um, traumatizing event, humans and animals have a three times greater than normal chance of illness or death compared to their cohorts, those are other animals of a similar age and conditions, they have a three times greater than normal chance of illness and death for an entire year, an entire year. And whenever an animal goes through a life uh, stressing event, it takes over 30 days for blood gases to go back to normal. So blood gases are uh, how well your blood is able to carry oxygen and how well it's, uh, your pH balance is maintained. So stress can really affect that for over 30 days. So what can we do about it? Well, there's three things that can make a huge difference. So here's what they are. I'll say what they are, and then we'll talk about them just a little bit. You can actively manage stress. If you're aware of it, you can help the animal to be prepared and to cope with it. You can spread the stress out. If you know that there's a vet visit coming up, and you also need to make a trip with your animal. And there's also a, an extra season coming up. Manage those things. Don't stack the trip on top of the estrus on top of the vet visit. If you can possibly avoid it. As I said that, I'm thinking, oh, if you go take a dog to get bread, right? So be aware. Be aware that that's particularly challenging for the animal's health. And related to that, time it. Uh, time your stresses. So you spread them out. You, let's go back even further. You make the decision to actively manage the stresses. You spread them out and you time them. So what are some other things with timing? I already mentioned estrus. How about uh, summer season for animals in resort areas, for example, or winter if it's very cold and that's taxing, or summer can be very taxing because it's hot. So 
spread your stresses out, time them. And we use, or I used, I developed for the use of my keepers and volunteers at the National Zoo, uh, lifelines. And there were two kinds of lifelines. There was the annual lifeline and the entire lifeline. So the entire lifeline was everything that we knew that animal was going to have to do to learn how to do and to experience. So at, if it was a baby animal that had just been born, at some point it would be weaned. And that would be a stressful event. It would change its fur or feathers. That would be a stressful event. It would all of a sudden see all these people arriving at the zoo in huge numbers. That could be a stressful event. Then it would get very hot. That could be stressful. Then maybe some of the animals had to be shipped to another facility, you know, for breeding purposes or something. That would be very stressful for the animals that were left behind, that lost their friends, as well as to the animals that got shipped. So those are all things that we know are going to happen in the animal's life. So what things happen once during the life? Getting weaned, first breeding season, first baby, weaning that baby, being bred again the first time, uh, the first visit, the first summer season. So you can go down the list and a, a lot of things happen in the beginning, right? And then they're not first anymore. And the animal is more experienced and it's easier. But for the things, the first time they happen, you need to be ready for those things. And that often takes some training uh, with the animal. So for example, if you know that the um, sea lions, I'll take sea lions because we know sea lions well, they're going to start into breeding season sometime in May. They're gonna have their babies uh, they're going to wean their babies and they're going to be bred again. And they're not back online as normal individuals until July, at which point it's very hot. And so their appetites tend to be less than normal. So really, if you need to take the animals to the vets in August, right after July ends, you need to have your training done for that by April because you're not going to want to need to train during this entire span where all the sea lions complicated reproductive activities go on, okay? So we, we figure out what we need that animal to do and then we train ahead of time. Now, for your lifeline, your entire lifeline, you know, we, we already covered that. And then we also have your annual lifeline. That's similar, but a little bit different. These things happen again and again. They're still stressful every time they happen. 
every peak visitor season, every breeding season, every vet visit, every uh, fire drill practice, all of these things can be stressful. So we put them on the calendar and we check and see what are the natural events. Um, maybe this animal isn't going through puberty, but he's still going through breeding season. So it's less stressful, but still a big deal. And then at you know, further back in the year, it starts getting cold. And for some of the animals, like seals, for example, they love the cold. That's not really a problem for them, but it's still a change. A stress doesn't have to be something the animal doesn't like. It's just something that requires adaptation from the animal. So we take our lifelines, the annual lifeline and the entire lifeline, and we check what we need to do against those. And we spread out our training demands and our husbandry demands so that they don't all stack up on top of each other. And that means they don't stack up also with environmental changes or population changes, things like that. That's an extremely important thing that we can do to help the animals. Now, sometimes stresses happen that we just cannot manage. For example, the death of an animal. So all the other animals in the exhibit are going to be, or all the other animals in the home will be affected. And do not go by what the animal looks like. Many animals are very stoic about change. We theorize that with exotic animals, they have to be stoic because if they show weakness, they are more likely to get picked off by predators. So it's their job to look like everything's hunky-dory. With my partner, Sarah, her best friend was an Appaloosa mare named Kaya. And I found out Kaya was going to be leaving and I can't control that, right? And I explained it to Sarah. And Sarah saw the activity surrounding Kaya's getting into the trailer to be transported away. And I had gone to pains to make sure Sarah knew what was happening, that Kaya wasn't dying, that she was going to live in a different place. But the next day, when I took Sarah past Kaya's stall, Sarah looked away from it. She would not look into the stall to see that her friend was not there. And within two weeks, she developed acute arthritis. So she'd been having a few symptoms of arthritis up to that point, but nothing debilitating. She was still really nimble on her feet and ran and stretched all of the time. But after these two weeks, she started dragging her feet and she had trouble standing for the farrier. And we got on it using herbs and you know other things, and we're still working on it. 
and she has never returned to her previous nimbleness, but I'm hoping that she will. A month after her best friend left, all of a sudden she colicked. The weather was slightly colder than it had been. We went out and found her down on the ground in the morning, early morning, and they were able to give her an anti-inflammatory drug that brought her back. But she's over 30 years old and that had never happened to her before in her entire life. And the weather change was not very extreme. So I chalk these things up to the result of stress for Sarah. Now, Sarah will be undergoing a lot of stresses this fall. She is undergoing a lot of stresses. Uh, her field was changed. So she and all of the other mares got switched from one field to another field. Her current best friend will be leaving in a couple of months. Her current best friend used to live next door to her. And now she lives in another barn, still on the same premises. They get to see each other daily, but they're not next door neighbors. Now that was mitigated a little bit because a very handsome guy horse moved in next to Sarah. And she seems to think he's quite good looking. So I hope that makes up for it a little bit. Now, other stresses that are coming for Sarah, cold weather. Change in feed. I, I already did a lot of her changes, but we started her on soybean meal. And that seems to be uh, an adaptogenic change. It seems to be helping her, but it's still a change. She's had a change in staff. So the stable was purchased by new owners and uh, they brought their own people in. And so the staff, there's only one person that was on the previous staff that's still there. Now, from, a, you know, from the perspective of, is that a good management thing as far as efficiency goes? It might be great. I don't know. But what worries me is that it's yet another change that Sarah and Affair have to cope with. So all the people that they depended on, that cared for them, that they knew and trusted are all gone because the one person that did know all of these horses and is still on staff is not working directly with the horses. So there's kind of a cut in the continuity of observing and knowing the horses from the human management perspective. But more importantly to me even is the fact that the animals have a real cut in the continuity of who takes care of them and how well they know those people. And that doesn't mean that the new people aren't just as good. Maybe they could be better, who knows? That's not the important thing. 
The important thing is the perception of the animal. So let me put it in perspective from an exotic animal uh, management point of view. Every time an animal is shipped into a new facility, it is quarantined for at least 30 days. And that's because the stress of moving that animal from one facility to another is so stressful that that animal, as I mentioned before, has a three times greater than normal chance of getting sick or dying. Now, it's not because we think the other zoo sent us a diseased animal. That's not it at all. Because we know they sent us a diseased animal. Everybody is diseased. We call it subclinical infection. You are carrying all these bacteria all the time. Well, we hear about it all the time now. Gut biome, right? What is the gut biome? Newsflash, it's bacteria. And some of them are dangerous and some of them are good for us. And even the ones that are good for us, under certain conditions can become dangerous. So we take this animal, we quarantine it. And that's for at least 30 days because I'll remind you, we talked about before, it takes over 30 days just for the blood gases to get back to normal, just for that animal to get its normal needed amount of oxygen and to be able to maintain its pH balance in its blood, okay? And then we're gonna take probably at least a month to introduce it to the other animals in the exhibit. We might very well keep that animal off exhibit, so would be in the holding area for the exhibit, but not out there being stared at by people and, you know, um, maybe harassed by its other exhibit mates. We're going to carefully bring that together, right? We're not going to do that. We're not just going to open the door and let the animals uh, join together and may the best animals survive, right? It's not a matter of survival of the fittest. These are all valuable, appreciated animals, and we want them all to live. We want them all to live long enough to like each other and to have a good life together. So we always quarantine and we always try to manage the changes and the evolutions on exhibit. What else do we do? We make sure we cover adaptogens however we can. Adaptogens could be exercise, enrichment, uh, supplements that help the animal to fight up disease, uh, vitamins that supplements too, training, restriction of training. We will give animals information early on, at least I did, but I wouldn't necessarily do any serious training until the animal had been there a couple of months. So we give them attention, we give them some socialization, but we would keep it 
like less than you might think. So this is going to take us to something I say about getting puppies that is controversial, I find. I advise puppy owners to keep them at home for the first 30 days for all the reasons I've described. You get that little puppy, he's so adorable, he wants to go with you and be everywhere and you want to show him off and take him every place. And I say, don't do it. And here's why. That animal needs to adapt to his new environment. He needs to get to know you. He needs to be able to sleep more often than he normally would. He needs to be able to stay warm. He needs to be able to not have too much excitement. While he's at home, you can name everything around him, teach him the names of his body parts, locations, activities, foods, other individuals, weather, locations in the facility, directions, numbers of things, doesn't mean you can't teach. You can teach, but you want to keep it light, keep it optional. And that will help your puppy to adjust. And then you can start gently bringing in your friends and family members and going to places and maybe not taking him inside of the store, but maybe walking around on the sidewalk while somebody else in your family goes into the store and gets something. So I'm thinking of like taking him into PetSmart or Home Depot. It's great that we can do those things, but I wouldn't do it with a little puppy. I would keep him a little bit out of the fray and just let him slowly get used to all these things and places. You think about it, when you're in line in the store, what do people do? Oh, that's a beautiful puppy. Can I pet your puppy? La, la, la. Oh, my dog's friendly. Is he friendly? And oh, by the way, are you sure that dog has not been exposed to canine influenza or parvovirus or some other disease? Your puppy doesn't need to be exposed to all that. All right, so I'm going to recommend for puppies the same thing that I recommend for all the other animals, which is give them a quarantine period. Just think of it as an adjustment period, and they need over 30 days, but definitely at least 30. You can still do cognitive teaching, but keep it light and stress-free. Now, what else for puppies? Oh, here's what else I wanted to say about it. If your puppy lives through the early introductory period with you, which many do and most do, you might think, oh, well, really, Casey was just worried about things for no reason. But here's the problem. External factors in the environment can affect gene expression. That's called epigenetics. And you can permanently change your animal's health by exposing it to overwhelming environmental factors 
at any point in his life, really. And it happens to us as well. Further, an animal is always being exposed to diseases. And as long as he stays healthy enough, you might not ever see them. For example, with humans, 80% of us carry reovirus type 2. Did you know it's fatal? There's an 80% chance that you have a fatal disease right this minute. But the good news is it's usually not fatal. Usually, if you start to get a case of it, a clinical case, you're going to have diarrhea. So unfortunate, but not fatal. But if you're run down, if you already have another disease, et cetera, et cetera, it can become fatal for you. Furthermore, when you get run down, you're more likely to pick up other of these subclinical infections. And some of them are viruses. And some of those viruses can stay latent in the body to cause severe illness later or cancers, things like that. So it is strategic to manage your animal's early life to protect it against overwhelming stress and disease infection. Okay, so to review, stress, change is equal to stress and stress is equal to disease. And stress is the cause of 90% of disease in people and animals. An animal that's, or a person that's exposed to a significant stress has a three times greater than normal chance of illness or death for an entire year after that stress. It takes over 30 days after a stress before the blood gases in the body go back to normal. Ooh, and I have one more point to bring up about that. There was a pair of orcas. They were mates. It was Orky and Corky. I believe the male was Corky, but whichever one, the male died. And the female was depressed. She was seriously grieving the loss of her mate. She would go, she would sink to the bottom of her tank and just sit there motionless for hours on end. I mean, she would come up for air, right? And then sink back down again. So researchers uh, managed to collect blood gas information and metabolic information. And they were able to determine that this whale lying on the bottom of her tank was using more oxygen than a whale in peak exercise. It may have been due to that blood gas problem because remember blood gases are determined by the ability to carry oxygen as well as by the ability to regulate pH. But whatever it was, this animal that looked like she was just listless, well, she was listless and just standing there, sitting there, whatever, but she's actually working her body 
really hard to cope with the grief. Okay, so those are so those are the statistics and the things that we can do to manage are actively be aware of these problems and help the animal work around them. We can do that by spreading out stressors and managing the timing of stressors. We can give quarantines so that we reduce other stresses at a time when we know the animal's actively coping with a big change. We can help them rebalance support. We can give them more supplements or rest or as we mentioned before, the quarantine time, enrichment, exercise. These are all things, tools that we can use to help our animals. I hope that talking about this helps you to adjust and help your animals adjust so that you can enjoy long, happy lives together. And when you get to, you know, further through your career or your life with animals, this will be so meaningful to you. Because, for example, in my life, by being aware of these things and actively managing for them, and also by, act, we actively teach the animals to cope. How could I forget that? Perception modification. That is a big one. I'm going to, okay, perception modification. Perception modifications where we teach animals to cope with stress and manage their emotions. It's extremely effective. It's not like we can solve every animal's problems, but boy, can we solve a lot of them and very quickly. So in about 15 hours of training time, we can solve most, like we only do it one at a time, right? But 15 hours per major problem, and sometimes much more than that and much faster. So I remember my story about the Wood Green Animal Shelters. They had 29 animals. They were all slated for euthanasia. And we went through and used perception modification to help them solve these problems that had made them unhomeable for up to three years in some of the cases. and. We did this with 27 of the animals in just 15 hours of training time, spread out over two weeks. And then two of the animals were doing very well, but they hadn't finished and they were given an additional two weeks and they were able to master all their problems also. All of these animals were adopted within one week of finishing their training. Not a single one was returned. Two years later, we went and contacted all the owners to be sure that they hadn't been returned or you know, died for some other reason or whatever. And they had all been successful. That is how amazingly effective this kind of training can be. So what are the results? Well, I developed perception modification when working with my animals at the National Zoo. My sea lions were expected to live for 20 years. They lived to be 26 and uh, I think 31. 
that's that's big in, increase, right? Then my gray seals were expected to live 30 years. Longevity for a male was 33 years. My male lived to be 38. My female broke all the longevity records, living to be 43, the longest ever so far. My German shepherd lived to be just short of his 16th birthday, and he was poisoned by a neighbor. That's another story. Uh, my Doberman lived to be just short of his 13th birthday. My horse is 31 and a half right now. My conure was expected to live 20, 23 years. He lived to be 32. My monkey had a similar expected lifespan. She also lived to be 32. And so it goes. So I wish for all of you the same beautiful, long, happy, healthy lives together with your animals. And to achieve this, I hope you will actively manage their stresses, support them during stress, and for goodness sakes, teach them to cope with stress. And that's perception modification. More on that in other podcasts. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for stopping with us. Hey fans, are you enjoying training with Casey? Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Casey Covert on YouTube. That is youtube.com forward slash C slash Casey Cover. Also, give the podcast a like, share, and comment. Thanks for joining us. Come back for more news and views on animal training and living with animals. Stay at the top of the pack with Casey. This is Joseph Laughlin, producer of Training with Casey. See you next time.